<laughs> the story begins. <laughs> okay, welcome everybody. We are on page eight, middle of page eight, the blessings of the Torah. We're going to split this into probably two, maybe three lessons. Let's start with the first blessing. We'll read it in the English and then we'll uh, interpret, discuss. Middle of page eight, the first of the three blessings. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified with his commandments and commanded us concerning the words of the Torah. Before we participate in many mitzvahs, not all mitzvahs, but many mitzvahs, we recite a blessing. Prior to putting on tefillin, we recite a blessing. Prior to wearing tzitzis, we recite a blessing. Prior to writing, lighting Shabbos candles, we recite a blessing. Before we eat matzah, we say a blessing besides for the hamotzi, which we recite before any type of bread. There's al-achilat matzah. God has commanded us to eat matzah. Prior to Torah study, we also recite a blessing. The blessing we just recited. But this is unique. This is different than other mitzvahs. This is different than other blessings that are prior to mitzvahs. It's considered a more crucial part of the mitzvah. In fact, many commentaries, Talmudic commentaries maintain that the blessings recited prior to Torah study are actually of a biblical obligation. Generally, there's a mitzvah and in order to spice up the mitzvah, to orient ourselves to do the mitzvah, to, to put ourselves in the proper frame of mind, we recite a blessing beforehand. It kind of serves as a framework of meditation. But were you to forget to say the blessing, okay, whatever. You did the, you, you did the deed. When it comes to Torah study, many commentaries maintain that the blessing beforehand, though, is of biblical origin, not rabbinic. Why is the blessing before Torah study so crucial? And by the way, I'll prove it to you. We're not even about to really study Torah yet. We just woke up. <laughs> We're just doing our daily blessing routines incorporated within prayer. Is the blessing prior to Torah study, why is it so important? When we study Torah, it's so easy to get lost and to forget what we're doing to forget that this is more than just intellectual and academic engagement. I'm not just studying Torah. I'm studying God's Torah. I'm studying the wisdom of God. Not just wisdom, God's wisdom. There has to be a certain humility that goes along with the Torah study in order to really appreciate that it's God's Torah. That it's not just, and by the way, if it's God's Torah, my focus can't be how can I conveniently interpret this? <laughs> God is communicating with me. What's he trying to tell me? The moment I try to interpret it conveniently, I miss the whole point. God is trying to communicate, right? Your spouse is trying to tell you something. She didn't say take out the garbage. She meant... Crack open a beer and sit on the couch. I, I missed it. My own agenda got in the way. I've been blinded by my own agenda. 
So Torah study requires a certain level of humility, of openness. Because it really is a deep, intimate relationship with God. And intimacy requires humility. Just to give a, an illustration. Jump to the end of the Amida. I use the word illustration figuratively. Um, jump to the end of the Amida. I was going to say, yeah, your audio was a little bit lower. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, the mic is, I'm trying to figure out how to use this microphone and not block my, my vision. But we're, okay, you can, can you hear me now? Very well. We're good? Okay, thanks. Bottom of page 53. <clears throat> the last paragraph, I'll read from the beginning. My God, guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceitfully. Let my soul be silent to those who curse me. Here's the part that I wanted to focus on. Let my soul be as dust to all. Let me be humble. Open my heart to your Torah. As a prerequisite to our hearts opening to Torah, we have to be like dust. We have to be humble. That doesn't mean that we're not valuable. But it does mean we're like dust. We're ready to be formed into whatever shape we need to be formed into because we're humble. And the way we gain that humility is through reciting the blessing before the Torah, realizing it's not just academic study. This is something God has commanded us. This is sacred. It's not just intellectual or interesting. It's sacred. God needs us to know this. Last week's Torah portion described the construction of the ark. And in the ark, what was placed in the ark, in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, and later on in the temple, in the Holy of the Holies, what was placed in that ark were the tablets. You'll read later on in next week's Torah portion that there were both sets of tablets were placed in there. The tablets that Moses broke when he caught us cheating on God. And then the new set of tablets were placed there. Signifying that in this ark, in our heart of hearts, in our holy of holies, we have to have this duality of the broken tablets of humility and confidence, the complete tablets. On one hand, we need to engage our mind, try to understand, try to make it meaningful. On the other hand, don't get in the way and be humble. And it, it's an incredible duality because often these two things come at odds. When I'm trying to understand something and make something, making something meaningful, yet not adulterating it, appreciating it for what it is, it's an incredible balance. Let me give you another imagery. I may have shared this insight with you before. The Torah begins with Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And many of the commentaries ask, why does the Torah start with the letter Bez, with the Bet? Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. Bez, Bet, is the second letter of the alphabet. Once you're starting with the letter Bet, it seems as if it were almost intentional. Why not just start with the Aleph? Find a word that starts with Aleph. 
Many of the commentaries ask this question. And there's many different answers. Bez, Bet, is an acronym for bracha, for blessing in the Torah. a blessing, and there's many other answers that other commentaries offer. But one way to look at it is Bet has a numerical value of two. Aleph has a numerical value of one. The academic study of Torah, reading the Torah, that's step two. So what's step one? Realizing who is communicating the Torah. It's just like in, in any uh, relationship. Step one to healthy communication is not focusing on what is being said, but on who is saying it. Because depending on who it's coming from, it's going to mean different things. Step one is who's saying it. Step two is what's being said. And that's what the Torah is. The Torah starts with a letter bet, numerical value of two. Step two is reading the actual text, understanding the text. But step one is who's telling us this text? God. In order for us to be conscious of that, to be aware of that, we start off with the blessings of the Torah. There's a blessing before and to orient us, to realize whose Torah it is. We're going to go so far as to say that it's actually prohibited to recite words of Torah prior to saying this blessing. We don't usually hold blessings in that high regard. We wouldn't say it's prohibited to put on tefillin prior to reciting the blessing. What we usually say is, before putting on tefillin, say the blessing. And if you didn't, okay, at least you put on the tefillin. Right? The blessing is essentially the kavanah, the intent. Right? It orients us to have intention. Before lighting Shabbat candles, recite the blessing. If you got discombobulated, you weren't focused, you were in a rush, and if you got to recite the blessing, fine. With Torah, we say that not only you should say the blessing beforehand, it's prohibited to recite words of Torah before reciting this blessing because the concept of kavanah, realizing whose Torah it is, having this awareness, is part of the mitzvah, is crucial. I remember... Happens often once I, um, I shouldn't say often, but I remember once I was I woke up in the morning, it was Shabbos morning, and somebody asked me a question, a halachic question. I said, I can't answer you. <laughs> Why not? You're the rabbi, your job is to answer. <laughs> I didn't recite the blessings of the Torah yet, which that itself is words of Torah. I don't know if I could say that. I didn't recite the blessings of the Torah yet. You got to wait. <laughs> Before reciting the blessings of the Torah, we cannot speak words of Torah. Because in order to learn Torah properly, in order for it to be a blessing and to be helpful, it has to be done with the pretense that it's God's Torah. Now, if somebody doesn't have that pretense, again, the Talmud says always study Torah because eventually you'll have the right pretense, you'll have the right intentions, but certainly, uh, ideally, we should be realizing whose Torah it is. And that's why we incorporate these blessings as part of prayer. Prayer is the relationship with God. Davening is the relationship with God. The emotional connection. Integrating God as a part of our understanding and a part of our feelings on a daily basis, trying to drill it in with the same prayers every single day. So the blessings of the Torah are part of the prayers because we want Torah to essentially be a prayer, to be an emotional connection.
bottom line, Torah study needs humility, needs a, a realization that this is God communicating to us. This is healthy, deep, intimate communication. That's intimacy. Intimacy means you're focused on what your spouse, not just on what your spouse is telling you, on your spouse that is talking to you. You see the difference? You're not focused on what your spouse has said to you. You're focused on your spouse that is talking to you. I'll give you an analogy. About a year ago, I was counseling a couple. They were going through a very difficult, um, they had a very rocky marriage, marriage, very difficult situation. And this gentleman's wife apparently said something to him that he took offense to. Um, he didn't like the way she said it came off very rough. And based on what he said and how he interpreted it, he created this whole story of how she feels about him. <laughs> and, and it, it was fascinating to see the, anyways, I said, wait a minute, you know what she said. You're focusing on what's being said. Take a step back. Who's saying it? Focus on who's saying it. Your wife. What's the motivation behind it? What's the soul behind it? How do you think she feels right now? What are her feelings that might motivate her to say that? And he starts describing her feelings or what, what she might be feeling. What might motivate her to say that? And as he's going through these descriptions, he starts to connect more and more to not what she said, but to who said it to her. And that's what we do with Torah study. We study God's Torah. And sometimes it could seem dry, by the way. We like to spice it up. But sometimes if, if you're just studying Jewish, uh, you might be studying Jewish law or more technical things and they're God's values. You could totally forget that this is divine. This is sacred. And the blessings of the Torah is that orientation. Let's jump ahead. We're going to jump to Pirkeiavos, the back of the Seder, because I want to show you something. For those of us who are familiar with Pirkeiavos, you're going to appreciate this. I'm talking not only to you guys, but to anybody who might be listening to this. For those who are not yet familiar with Pirkei Avos, you'll still appreciate this. You'll like this. <laughs> We're going to chapter four. I'll find the page in a second. Chapter four, Mishnah, paragraph 20. So it's page 285. You with me? Okay. Elisha ben Avuya said, he who studies Torah as a child, 
to what can he be compared? To ink written on flesh, uh, on flesh, on fresh paper. <laughs> Don't get confused with the two. <laughs> End up with a tattoo. That okay? So somebody who studies Torah as a child, it's like ink written on fresh paper. In other words, it's gonna last a long time. It's going to endure. And he who studies Torah as an old man, to what can he be compared to ink written on paper that has been erased? It's not going to be as clear. It's not going to last as long. It's going to be a little bit more blurry. And the commentaries ask, this is very encouraging for the youth, but this seems very discouraging for the older population. And by the time they're mature enough to want to read this stuff, <laughs> they missed it. <laughs> this isn't fair. Okay, so in one of his talks, the Lubavitch Rebbe has a beautiful explanation. He says, we're misunderstanding this. We're taking it a little too literally. If It doesn't say study Torah when you're a child, and then it will endure. Study when you're old, it won't endure. What it says is, Study Torah as a child. Be like a child when you study Torah. Be curious. Yet don't be cynical. Be accepting. We're not talking about the age. We're talking about the attitude. Be like a child. Don't be cynical. Be humble. Be curious, but be humble. And now it's like fresh. It's like ink on fresh paper. It's going to endure. That Torah is going to become a part of us. Something we're going to internalize. It's something we're going to connect to. It's going to be meaningful. But if we study like an old person, and we don't mean that in the sense of age, but in sense of attitude, we're cynical. Then the Torah is like on old erased paper. It's not, it loses its beauty. It's not going to endure. It's not going to become a part of us. Quick question? Yeah, go for it. Is this a case where the English translation translation doesn't do the justice to the original Hebrew? Like where there's that confusion? I always read this, like what you said at first, as a child, I thought it meant if you're st studying when you're a child, you're saying study as if. Is the as if, is that more implied in the Hebrew or is it the same? Yeah. So, so if you look at the Hebrew, it's the third line. Good question. The Hebrew, um, third line, beginning of the third line. So somebody who learns Torah like a child, to what is he compared? And now I'm going to read Ledio to ink. Truth is, it's not that implied in the Hebrew. <laughs> English is better. Here. No, I'm kidding. But he's compared to ink. Look at the Hebrew. I mean, the English is the same also. It, it, this is what he's compared to. He's compared to ink written on a... It's a comparison. If you look in the Hebrew on the second line, middle of the line, halomed Torah yelid. There's a lot of room for translation here because it just says learning Torah childlike doesn't say when you're a child. It doesn't even say as you're a child. It's when you translate it, you kind of just put in words to make it make more sense. So there is a little bit of flexibility with the translation there. Well, if you say childlike, that sounds more 
the like a child case than saying as a child, as a child, I, I yeah. always as, so as a child is a translation that makes sense in the literal meaning of the text. Uh, but the intent of the text is actually be childlike. Hmm. In Maimonides halachic, uh, in, in Maimonides code of, of Jewish law, in his halachic code of law, his encyclopedia of Jewish law, as well as in the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law by Yosef Cairo, not by Yosef Cairo, by, by actually a different, uh, the, the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch of the author of the Tanya, he has a code of law that he codified. In both of their books, when they discuss the laws of Torah study, the first thing they quote is the commandment to learn, to teach our youth Torah. You would think, teach yourself, to, and then afterwards it says, teach yourself Torah. You would think, no, teach yourself Torah, then teach your youth. You have to have something to teach. But again, it's alluding to the same idea. We have to be childlike when studying Torah. Humble, open, curious, and not be old, grouchy, and cynical. It won't endure. It won't connect to us in the same way. So, that's essentially what the blessings are, yeah? So, so when, like what you just said, so you have to teach your child first. It doesn't necessarily mean your literal child. It means your inner child. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. Because you can't really teach your child if you don't have the information yourself. Exactly. Essentially, what we have here is a paradigm shift. Torah study is not just to know more about Judaism. It's not just about knowing more about Jewish history. It's not even just about knowing how to observe Judaism and practice Judaism, although that is a central part of Torah study. Torah study itself is a deep relationship with God because it's God's values. To appreciate that, we have this, in Hebrew, two-line meditation. In English, three- or four-line meditation. The blessing on page eight. God has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the words of Torah. When we study the words of Torah, we're doing something that is sanctified. We're doing something that is sacred. We're, we're, we're being part of a sacred relationship. Let's take a look at the next blessing. You'll see how this all fits in. Before we move on, any questions, thoughts, comments, reflections? Or controversy? You turned the mic on right when, you said, when I said controversy. I saw that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's important uh, to say this blessing in the morning before doing any kind of Tanya, any kind of Torah, right? Yes, yes, yes. Good question. When we say Torah, we don't just mean the, the Bible, the Bible books of Moses, but any element of Torah study, whether it be the uh, written Torah, whether it be more parts of the oral Torah or Esik Torah, whatever it might be, correct? So... That means like before saying the Shema, you'd have to say this, right? Correct. And as you say it once in the morning and it's good for the whole day, like you don't have to say it. Yeah. So Shluchim are notorious for going around and asking, did you put on tefillin today? And then somebody says no. 
says, okay, here's a period to fill in and, and repeat after me. I don't think they start with this blessing. They go right into the Shema, right? Challenge accepted. <laughs> some, <laughs> some do. I've seen it. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. No, no, some, some do for sure. For sure. Hmm. That, that, that probably would be the correct thing to do. So if you, the rabbi, said it, would that cover the person who's putting on tefillin? Um, if you had them in mind and they answered a main, you know, they were like, they were right there, then yeah. So, yeah. so I might be jumping ahead, but in the little gray box, it says it's forbidden to utter any words to her before these blessings are, are recited. So is it is it sufficient to say only the first one that we just studied, or do you have to say all these blessings before you can study any Torah? So you got to say all three of them. Hmm. All, th all three of them, yeah. I if if not, then you know if it was somebody like like you're saying going or going around and asking somebody to put on fill in and let's say the Shema together, the the last uh, the last the third blessing would be the the, the bare bones. Oh, not, not the first one, the last yeah. one? Yeah. Which I recognize from uh, when we're called up to the Torah. Exactly. So if that's the other thing, just give them an aliyah and you're <laughs> <they're> covered. <laughs> but I just, I just asked if we're covered for the whole, whole day when we say at least the first paragraph, but the third pair, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but the third paragraph is an exception. Yeah. No, no, it's a good question. No, you, in terms of Torah study, you're covered for the whole day. Hmm. Um, when, when you're getting an aliyah, you're about to read from the Torah or somebody's about to read the, from the Torah before you, for, for you. So then you'll, you'll make that bracha blessing as a, as a special honor for the Torah. Hmm. The, the way, the way it used to work historically is when you would, this is kind of sidetracked, but it's, I think it's interesting. When one would get an aliyah, they'd be called up to the Torah and they would read. Um, that, that was the honor. Not everybody has that ability. They still do that in some communities and more Sephardic communities, Yemenite communities. They're kind of just trained to, most people don't have that ability. So we say, okay, we'll have somebody else read it for you and you'll just say the blessings. But substitute yeah uh, right a pitch hitter <laughs> <laughs> let's take a look at the next blessing the second paragraph middle of page eight let's read the whole thing in the english and then we'll go back to the hebrew uh, and then we'll go back to the explanation lord our god make the teachings of the torah of your torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your entire people the house of israel and may we, our children and the children of your entire people, the house of Israel, all be knowers of your name and students of your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches the Torah to his people Israel. There is a debate, by the way, if this is a separate blessing from the pre previous one or if it's a continuation. If you look at the Hebrew... Vaharev, no, there's a vav there. Vav means and. Various versions of the Siddur, the Chabad Siddur has and. 
doesn't have it in the English because it doesn't make sense in the way they translated it. Various uh, versions of the Siddur don't have the Vav, don't have the And. And there's a debate of whether it's considered one blessing or two. The, the Vav where? The, the beginning of the paragraph in Hebrew. Vaharev. Oh, so when you say there's a debate as to whether it's a continuation of the previous one, previous one being the first paragraph? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we say, Lord our God, make the teachings of your Torah pleasant. Back in the Hebrew, vaharev, vaharev na means please make it sweet. Hashem elokeinu, Lord our God. It's divrei Torah, the words of your Torah in our mouth. God, make the Torah sweet. We're asking God that this should be a pleasant relationship. Again, Torah study is a relationship. Because our focus, it really is a relationship with God, a deep intimacy with God. And we ask God every single morning, please make this sweet. Make it enjoyable. There's a rabbi in Israel. He is in his late 80s, maybe 90s. His name is Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. He's known as one of the most scholarly rabbis alive. Fascinating individual. This is a person who, on an annual basis, studies the entire Babylonian Talmud every single year, the entire Jerusalem Talmud with its commentaries, the entire Maimonides with its commentaries, the entire Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law, with its commentaries as well as all of the Midrashim and its commentaries. He has an incredibly rigorous study schedule. The, the guy breathes Torah. His perspective is Torah. That's what he sees. Jewish law, Jewish perspective, Jewish values. All of this is just flowing through his blood. He's, Torah is literally his life. It's a fascinating thing it really is fascinating and he's he's respected in all uh by all uh groups if you will of judaism <laughs> of Jews, because he's just an incredible person incredibly uh studious rigorous the entire talmud every single year that's for those watching the video right there from there to there that's just the Babylonian Talmud. The entire code of Jewish law. Hold on. For those who are listening and don't see the video, this isn't going to be helpful, but whatever. That entire shelf. It, it's an incredible... It's mind-boggling. So somebody asked him, in this prayer, we ask God, make the Torah sweet. Wouldn't we... This is a... Uh, an academic experience, shouldn't we be asking God, let us understand the Torah? His response was, he always gives like one, two, two line responses. People line up to him for blessings and questions and answers. All of his answers are, he's very, <laughs> very concise. He doesn't have a lot of time. He said, if Torah is sweet, you'll understand it. If you enjoy it, you'll understand it. 
And every single day we ask God, let us enjoy it. Let's take it to the next level. I'm going to read from the top. Lord our God, make the teachings of your Torah pleasant in our mouths. And in the mouths of your entire people, the house of Israel. And not only in the house of Israel, but our children and children's children. We're asking God, let the Torah be sweet. Let it be sweet for us. Let it be enjoyable. Let it not be enjoyable only for us, but for our children. So if we want Torah to endure, to become a part of us, to be relevant, and if we want it to perpetuate to the next generation, so we have the previous blessing, humility, realizing whose Torah it is, and then we have this blessing, let it be pleasurable, let it be sweet. We'll approach it with, with humility, God, but you approach us with pleasure, with sweetness. And let our children perceive it as sweet. If we want Torah to go move on to the next generation, it has to be enjoyable. It has to be satisfying. By the way, Torah really is satisfying. Study the Torah portion. Think about it. Push yourself. In. It's going to be beautiful. I remember I had a teacher once. We had a little Fabrangan back in Yeshiva. And the teacher was in a little gathering where inspiration, the teacher was talking. He says, we need to have aha moments. There has to be that moment where you go, ah, oh, and you pop out of your seat with excitement because you, there's something you get and it's just beautiful. It's just pleasant. It's just, it's awesome. We have to have aha moments because it's God's Torah. It's a relationship. The relationship has to be sweet. And if the relationship is sweet, it endures and it endures multi uh, across generation, generationally. Generationally. See that six times fast. There was a, a Yid, a Jew, who survived a war. He was a very quote unquote pious Jew, involved, committed. But his uh, it, it didn't really stick to the next generation. <laughs> his kids weren't so involved. And he was deeply bothered by this. He asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe for advice. And in conversation, the Rebbe figured out that every night he would sit on this couch and he would give a krechts, he would give a oive type of thing, like, ugh. And he would say, it's so difficult to be a Jew. It's so difficult to be a Jew. And he would be, you know, let's endure this. It's, it's difficult. And the Rebbe said, you need an attitude shift because your kids are picking up on this. You have to sit down and say, oh, it's beautiful to be a Jew. It's beautiful. It's enjoyable. When we approach Judaism with joy, with pleasure, with enjoyment, it's, it's contagious. The youth see that. People enjoy this. It's not oppressive. They don't have to do this. They get to do this. This is a relationship. It's attractive. And that's what we're asking God in this blessing for. Let, us, let this be attractive to us. 
And when it's attractive to us, it's going to be attractive to the next generation and to the next generation. It's going to endure. And for the most part, despite the trials and tribulations we've gone through as Jewish people, in the Tri-Valley, Jewish people are studying Torah. It's fascinating. In Northern California, against all odds, in the East Bay Area, in the Bay Area, we're studying the same Torah that our grandparents studied in the shtetl, that their grandparents studied, and that their grandparents that we got from Mount Sinai. Because we saw this as a beautiful relationship and it endured it passed on. Back to that paragraph, the second paragraph. Let's go to the third to last line. Actually, sorry, a third line, third to first line, third line of that second paragraph of the blessings of the Torah. So it's the center of page eight, second blessing of the Torah, third line. You see it toward the end of the line where it says, and may we, and may we, our children and the children of your entire people, the house of Israel, all be knowers of your name. Essentially to study Torah is to know God. And students of Torah for its own sake. When we study Torah, it might be the Torah portion. By the way, these I'll give you an example. The Torah portion now could on the surface, if you don't read the commentaries, just read the text, it could seem very boring, to put it quite bluntly. Going through the measurements of the various articles in the tabernacle, going through the clothing that the priests wore, going through their wardrobe, there's no stories, there's no wars, there's no personalities. It's just clear-cut, dry, this is what happened. Okay, we could spice it up, and there's commentaries, and there's insights. But even just the, the, the surface itself, which may seem very dry, this is God's will, this is what God wants. And we say, God, this is sweet, this is beautiful, because this is just, this is you. This is a part of you. This is how you communicate to us. This is your love language. These are your values. You study Jewish law, even if it doesn't seem practically relevant at the moment. These are God's values. Right? Studying the size of the clothing of the priests in the temple. How does that help me? Okay, there's lessons you can learn, but even without that, this is divine will. That itself is sweet. That's God's love language. And when we think about that in the morning, meditate on this. Our Torah study is a whole new meaning. Before we study Torah, we ask God to help us realize that this is your Torah. It starts with an Aleph, not a Bet, because step one is realizing who's saying it, not just what's being said. Number two, what's being said should be sweet. Number three, this should be a medium with, by which we connect to you and get to know you better. Try if, if we really internalize this every morning before studying Torah, we approach Torah with a whole new passion, a whole new excitement, a whole new energy. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.